Well, good day, Fellowship family. It's great to have you worship with us. And we are, uh, if you're visiting, it, we're here at a great time because we're launching our new series called Available. And Available is all about what could happen if you place your life in God's hands. What is God doing in the world? We believe he is alive, he is active, he is working. And uh, following him is a result of us just putting our lives in his hands and making our lives available to what he would have for us next. Today we're going to be talking, as we introduce this topic, we're going to be talking about the measure of God's love for us. And as I think about just what we measure in life, I can think just about the family I grew up in. I grew up in a family that had a company. It was a carpet and rug company. And so in my later adolescence years and even into college, I lived with the tape measure. I would measure homes, and I remember I would look at those homes and almost guess after a while, because I've had so much experience doing that, but we'd always need the tape measure. We'd always need to put it down and measure out and chart out so that the rug and the nap would all work in the same direction. And uh, this is this is an interesting tool for how it measured. And by the way, it's just fascinating. From the early 80s till now, the average size of a home is 1,000 square feet larger. And the average size of a family has moved from about three people to about two and a half. And I don't know how you live with a half a person in your home. <laughs> but the average square foot that we need kind of has grown or that we want has grown and I think that's starting to change, especially with the, the uh, introduction of the tiny home. I just can't see myself in one yet, though. But you know, the size of what you measure changes what you measure it with, right? And, uh, you know, when you look at the universe and when you see even what's out there in, in what's, what's in the, the world as you look in a telescope and you see out there, is that they actually measure the universe right now with the speed of light. And they measure just this light, this beautiful day that we have today with the sun shining. They measure that that light that was at the surface of the sun traveled here to the surface of the earth in 8 minutes, 20 seconds. And it traveled 93.7 million miles to reach us. The universe is huge. And you have to measure it with what's called this whole concept of the speed of light. On a most recent estimate that I've read uh, this week, is that the universe is 91 billion light years large. That's crazy. That's crazy. Why would God create this so huge in us, this just little small place called Earth? I think it's to show us how huge he is. But the story continues, and what we measure isn't just the large things. There's also the small things. One of the smallest measures that we have is called the nanometer. I grew up in the 80s, so I, whenever I think of nano, I think of Mork and Mindy. Are you with me? <laughs> nano, nano, okay. But nano, the nanometer is literally one billionth of a meter. So much that if you were to take a human hair and magnify it and try to count how many nanometers are in it, 100,000 nanometers would be the size of a human hair. The red blood cell is 1,000 nanometers large. And so it's fascinating, just with the progress that we've had in the telescope and the microscope, how small things have become and how large things have become. What do you use to measure in your life? 
There's a lot of options that people measure their lives with. We can measure our lives with income and how much we make. And as long as it's increasing from one year to the next, we're happy. But when it decreases and it, it messes with our style of living, my goodness, look out. We get nervous. We can measure our life if you're more educationally oriented with the number of degrees that you hold or the position or the chair that you hold in an institution. You can measure your success with a win-loss record. We can measure uh, if you're in a family, you measure how much time you've spent with your kids because I know they do. They're always wondering, did did, did you spend enough time with them? We can also look at the number of friends that we have or the number of likes that our posts get. I mean, even 15 years ago, if you would have come up to me and said, you know what, there's going to be a time, Joe, in 15 years when you will have 2,800 Facebook friends. Facebook, it'll be something, it's like an online presence. And you will put up your posts, you will share your life in different profound sayings that you will have. And you will watch and you will wait and you will count how many people liked it. And it will make you feel good about your day. My goodness, what we measure matters, doesn't it? What we measure matters. Some of us look at our retirement portfolio and we wonder, will I have enough? Because we measure our future based on our present and what we have right now. And welcome, NFL starts today, actually started Thursday, and we are measuring our fantasy points. No cheating right now, and I know everything starts at noon, and I'm going to try to end so that we don't see people trying to make their last-minute changes. And if you see someone making their last-minute changes, just do one of these and listen to him up there, okay? All right. What we measure matters. So what are we called to measure in our walk with God? You see, God invites us to measure his love, his love for us, his love in us, And his love through us. And once we can see it, and once we receive it into our lives, well, my goodness, it changes the perspective of everything in our lives. And his desire is not just for us to know about him, but to know him and to experience his love. And the scriptures, both Old and New Testament, are very clear on this. Let me take you to two of them. The first one is Psalm 36. If you have your Bibles, open up with me to Psalm 36. Psalm 36, you're going to see the phrase steadfast love. And in English, it takes two words to take what one word in Hebrew means. And the Old Testament was written in Hebrew, and that one word is pronounced chesed. You can Clear your throat by saying that word. But it's a profound word that literally means God's unchanging, his his never-ending, his faithful, his covenant love for people. My goodness, we need this. There's so much hate in the world. There's so much frustration in us. And if left to ourselves, we only want to hang around with people who look like us, believe like us, act like us, talk like us, live like us. We just want more of ourselves is what really comes out to be. We need a better direction for love, and it comes from God. The psalmist writes this reality, and I want right now the lens of scripture, scripture to inform us about who God is. A lot of people say, I'd like to think that God is this, and I'd like to think that God is that. 
one of the common things I hear about God, when even from people who don't come from a faith background, their belief is, well, I'd like to think that there, if there is a God, he's a God of love. And scriptures say that. And they craft for us a vision of God that we need to have the lens clarify. The lens of scripture show us who God is. That's why it's so important that we, our lives stay tethered to the scriptures, to the word of God, to inform us of God's love for us. Look what it says in Psalm 36, verses 5 through 10. It says, Your steadfast love, O Lord, extends to the heaven, your faithfulness to the clouds, Your righteousness is like the mountains of God. Your judgments are like the great deep man and beast you save, O Lord. How precious is your steadfast love, O God. The children of mankind take refuge in the shadow of your wings. They feast on the abundance of your house. And you give them drink from the river of your delights. For with you is the fountain of life. In your light do we see light. Oh, continue your steadfast love to those who know you and your righteousness to the upright of heart. Here the psalm is just overwhelmed and you see that phrase, steadfast love, three times in this passage. It's like it's God's unending, unlimited love for us. The scriptures need to remind us that. The scriptures need to inform us of God's love. Paul in the New Testament wrote about this. In Ephesians chapter 3, if you could flip over to Ephesians chapter 3 right now, you'll see his picture to the church in Ephesus. Ephesus was an interesting church. When John writes to Ephesus in the book of Revelation, he said he saw a picture He saw a picture of their truth and their righteousness and them standing firm in the truth. But one thing that they struggled with was, it says that you have forgotten your first love. You've wandered from loving God and you've been embroiled in doing things for God. And this, is, this was Paul's heart for the church in Ephesus, the church he planted, the church he came alongside and he prayed over. I mean, he spent hours on his knees praying for the church in Ephesus. This is what he prayed for. Look with me in Ephesus chapter, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 17 through 19. He says, and it's my prayer that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height, and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses all knowledge, that you may be filled with the fullness of God. You see, when it comes to being available in our lives, we need to realize that love is the currency in the kingdom of God. Everything flows from God's love for us. And what you love directs everything in your life. It will be your measure of a good day or a horrible day. So what do we need to know about God's love? Now, there's many things we could teach about this, but there's three that I want to talk about. And the first one about God's love is this, that God's love is undeserved. None of us deserve it, but all of us can have it. 
It's the beauty of God's love. In our world, we kind of are a performance world, that we get more love when we do better things for people. We get more accolades. We get more applause. The more we do, the more we accomplish. God's love is inverted, it inverts that. It basically says there's nothing you can do to deserve this. God is simply loving, and he chooses to love you. He knows everything about you, and he chooses to love you anyway. That ought to make you uncomfortable. It makes me uncomfortable because I like to have a love that's deserved. We many times can build our lives around giving love to those we deem deserve our love. And it limits us from the love of God. Folks, none of us are here because we live this spectacular week. We're all here because we need the love of God in our lives because the ground is level at the cross. And because it's freely given from God, we need to realize it came at a huge cost. It's undeserved. It's unearned. But it's priceless. God's love in our lives need to be that love that humbles our hearts. That we don't think we can get him to love us more by doing more for him. And we don't buy in to the lie that he loves us less when we don't live up to his standards. We are called to live by grace because salvation is by grace through faith in the person and the work of Jesus. And so therefore, whatever our debt is with God, God's payment covers it. Whatever our debt is, the payment of God is greater. One of the measures of God's love is how far he went to redeem you, to purchase you out of hell, to purchase you into righteousness from being dead in your trespasses and sins. And the measure of God's love is this, to the death, to the death. Jesus Christ was born in Bethlehem. He lived a perfect life. He died on a cross. And on that cross, his final words were, it's a Hebrew word, excuse me, a Greek word. And it says, tetelestai. That word was actually a market term. If you were in business in that day, you would know exactly what tetelestai means. It would be represented in our phrase, paid in full. The last words of Jesus became his final statement of his love in our lives. I paid it all for you. Everyone who believes in me can be restored to God because what I did was enough. It's not deserved but it's freely given. We need to receive it. Secondly, God's love is infinite. It's infinite. Look what Paul says in verse 18 of Ephesians 3. He says, I want you to just get a picture of what is the breadth and length and height and depth. Those are pretty much every way you could measure an object. And here he is, It's not just one dimension. He wanted us to see these four dimensions of breadth and length and height and depth so that we might know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. It's kind of like love is one thing that God says, you're never going to fully get it, but try, try, get a picture on it. Because our image of love is always too small. We need a greater image of love than the one that was handed to us and the one that we have been operating with. We need a broader picture of God's love. It's infinite. It's infinite. In other words, it's inexhaustible. 
We tend to think that love is something that's precious, that we reserve for just a few people. And it is precious, but it's not reserved for just a few people. It's reserved for everyone God places in front of our, our, our eyes. Everyone that God moves into our lives. We are called to be people who are supplied by God's love on a daily basis. And that's why the supply that runs through your life is directly related to the use of God's love. You want to experience a very little amount of God's love? Only love a few people. Only love people like you, who, who act like you, who vote like you, who believe like you, who talk like you. Because love cannot be experienced on the sidelines. It has to be engaged in a relationship with God, loving him and loving others. And finally, God's love is increasing. The psalmist in Psalm 36 says this, For with you is the fountain of life. In your light do we see light. This is kind of a picture of an unending, infinite fountain that pours through our lives. And God's love, hopefully, as Paul says, as you get to know all the dimensions of God's love in your life, it's my prayer that you may increase in your knowledge of that. Which, but even though it surpasses knowledge, that you would know the love of God. And that word know is not just to know about, but to experience and to understand God's, how God's love works in our lives. With most every precious resource, there's a limited quantity. And so scarcity many times will determine value in our world. But with God's love, the more... The more we spend, the richer we become in it. The more we love, the richer we become. God wants us to live in his love, to walk in his love. And I understand that many are uncomfortable with that word love because we think that we check out of the word truth or righteousness or God's justice. But all I can say is this, is love someone. Love someone and you will value the truth of being honest with them, of of not deceiving them, of not hurting them. When you love someone, the truth follows that. But when you don't or when you're envious, all sorts of evil things come out of envy and discontentment. But when you love, the truth will follow that love. And so God is full of both. He's full of truth and he's full of grace. Uh, John 1 tells us that. And we're to love him with our all. So think with me. Think with me. God's love is undeserved. God's love is infinite. God's love is increasing in our lives. So everyone look up here because these aren't in your notes. And I actually thought of these questions after we put the notes to print. So they come at no extra charge, okay? But I started thinking through this, and I took this outline, and I took this truth about God after reading in the Old and the New Testament, and I asked myself some personal questions. Personal questions that I want to engage you with, because I think it's really important. It's one thing to know about God's love. It's the second one to ask the question, is that love in me, and how is it affecting my life? The questions I have for you are just three. One, number one, why don't I see it? Why don't I see God's love for who he is? Why don't I see him for who he is and, and, and turn to him and live in that love? 
Secondly, why don't I receive God's love? Why am I not asking him for more love? I think there's this thought that we can just dig deep and get more love in us. And that's, we don't have the capacity to love the people God wants us to love. We just don't. Because, here's my confession, I love me. I just do. And I wish I didn't so much. But every morning I wake up and I know how I feel. I do. Oh, my back. Then I look in the mirror and I go, oh, my hair. And then I go downstairs and I go, I am really hungry. And I want to dress myself up and eat so I can have hunger taken care of. And then I go, what do I have today? And it's rare that I go, good morning, Cheryl. How are you so far? Do you sleep okay? And it's rare that I go, how are you? And I'm thinking of others first. My day is many times seen through the lens of myself. And it's easy to fall into that. And if we've had a poor experience with love, it's really easy to protect ourselves from love. And if we've had a greater love for ourselves, it's easier for us to project ourselves in this world. Why don't I receive it? Why don't we receive this undeserved, infinite, increasing amount of love from God? And finally, why don't I give it away? Why don't I give it away? Why am I so limiting in my love for people? Why do I withhold it when someone disappoints me or falls short of my expectation? Why do I use love to get? Why do I show up wanting to get rather than show up wanting to give? When the true definition of when we're called to love is not to get, but to give. Love one another as Christ loved you and gave up himself for you. That's the biblical definition of love. I think we can all answer these in our own ways. It's humbling to answer them. It's also revealing. But in that humble moment, we're invited in. We're invited in to God's love. And Jesus gave one of the greatest commandments. He called it, this is the first and great commandment in Matthew 22. If you have your Bibles, flip over to Matthew chapter 22. He was asked, teacher, what's the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus said in verse 37, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and the first commandment. So if you could summarize everything in the Old Testament scriptures that the Jews were asking Jesus to expound on, Jesus made it very simple. He said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and all your mind. And you know what? Our tension is going to be with that word all because it's in all three of those areas. And there's a fear with the all. We like to give God just enough. Just enough to keep us comfortable. Just enough to keep us safe. Just enough to keep us um, okay with us and not overwhelmed with the needs of others. And here Jesus said, no, with all your heart with all your soul, with all your mind. And then he gives a second one. He says, and a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. 
On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. And sure enough, Jesus reinterpreted everything in the Old Testament. We go back into the law and back into the prophets, and we could see this common thread in all the principles and all the commands. Love God, love others. Love God, love others. Listen to God, listen to others. Obey God, obey the leadership over you. You see this thread. So following God is all about loving him and loving others. There's three dimensions to this love that I'd like to talk about that affect each and every one of us. And our response to God and his love for us needs to be in relation to these three dimensions of the love that he gave us here in Matthew 22. The first one is this. Are we available? Are we available for the love of God? Here it says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul And with all your mind, this is the great and first commandment. This means that we're sourced and sustained and secure in God's love. This means that when we look for a definition of love, what is love in our lives? We look to God. We don't look within. We certainly don't look to media around us. We look to God who has given us a lens into the height and the depth and the width of his love for us in Christ. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Can God fill every one of those areas beyond whatever we could do with ourselves? Absolutely. Absolutely. God gives plenty of love and he shows us. That's why it's important, first of all, to receive his love, to receive the love of God in our lives. And receiving the love of God means that we realize that in Christ Jesus, God lived for us. He lived a perfect life for us. He died a final death on the cross for us. And he rose again on the third day. Jesus said, I'll go as far as I need to go to pay the price to win you back. And I will purchase you out of hell into heaven. I will purchase you out of sin and into righteousness. That's why Paul would call Jesus literally the righteousness of God, because with Christ, we have the righteousness of God. Have you received God's love for you? I think it's easy as you follow modern day religion of looking at your life on what you did for God or meeting him halfway. There's some who say that God is gracious. As long as you're good to him, he'll be good to you. And that's not grace. That's performance. That's not receiving his love. We all have to come to a point in our lives where we realize, God, I can't perform to the level. Your love is undeserved and it's infinite and it's increasing. And so I'm just going to lay my life down at your feet and I'm going to say, I need you to love me. I need you to live for me and die for me and rise again for me. And he did in Christ. It's all been done. You don't need to do anymore. Receive the love of Christ. Some of you who want to respond to him right now, I just invite you to do that in the quietness of your chair. Just say, God, I get it. It's not what I'm doing. It's what you have done in Christ for me. I turn from my sin and I trust in the only person who saved me. I trust in Jesus Christ. Receive his love. Receive his forgiveness. Receive eternal life from Christ. 
And the scriptures say, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You receive the love of God. You are now God's beloved child. It's not of anything you've done or anything you deserve, but all of us, welcome to the family of people who don't deserve God's love, but have received God's love as a gift. Welcome to the family. And once you've received the love of God, I just want to encourage you then respond to God in love. Love him with everything in your life. It's not about what you're doing. It's what about God? It's, it's about what God is doing through you. God always, always operates in love. And once you have received it, it's important to pray and ask for more love from God. Since love doesn't come from you, God is the source and sustainer of love. A great prayer to pray each day is God... Melt my heart towards you. Give me a greater love for you. If you're struggling with a certain uh, issue in your life that's destroying your life, God, give me a greater love for you than I would ever have for a love for this. Whether it's alcohol, whether it's a chemical, whether it's a major distraction, God, give me a greater heart for your eyes than I could ever have with the acceptance of the people around me that's compromising my life. God, I want a greater heart for you. You are the author of love. You are the giver of love. Source my life in love today. Are you available for the love of God? Secondly, we have to be accurate in our love for self. We can miss this when we're just focused on the two commandments. But Jesus calls it to our attention. He said, you shall love your neighbor as yourself which means Jesus sees the love that we have for ourselves, this inflated, obsessive love that we have for self that's focused on our rights, our identity, our expression. And based on your background, you can either protect yourself from love or project your life in love for yourself. But it requires, when we understand that God loves us, not because of what, he's, what we've done, but because of what he has done, because of who he is, then we have to humble our hearts. I'm not talking about we need to hate ourselves and beat up on ourselves. Because it is true that we are crafted in the image of God. We are priceless. We are eternal. But on the same hand, we are profoundly broken. We are. We're profoundly broken and we're in need of redemption. And so the love of God reminds us that we're, we're beloved of God, but we're also broken in ourselves. We need to be sourced. We need to look to God to define his love for us. We need to see ourselves the way he sees us in Christ. That's why Paul always refers to a follower as someone who's in Christ. You're never alone. You're never unloved. You're in Christ, in the family of God. You have the inheritance of the saints because of what Christ has done. The God's love for me changes how I view myself. And it doesn't make me more arrogant or self-righteous. It keeps me honest and humble that without Christ, I would not have the love of God. We have to be accurate in ourself and our love for ourselves, which means we're reviewing our lives in the light of God's love. 
when I mess up and there's guilt and shame in my life, there is a choice I make. Am I going to stay in the guilt and shame or am I going to come back to Christ? Am I going to confess that sin or am I going to hide that sin? Am I going to put on appearance or am I going to go vulnerable and I'm going to seek the forgiveness and repent from sin? That's where the love of God reminds me there's nothing I could do to make God love me more and there's nothing I could sin against that God would make God love me less. Come back to the Heavenly Father who loves me. And it drives us, the kindness of God drives us to repentance. And so our hearts need to be reviewed by God's love. Otherwise, Satan, who's the accuser and the deceiver, will always call us out and question our faith and question our relationship with God. We've got to come back to the scriptures and be reminded and review all of life in the light of God's love. And then not only are we available and accurate, but then this is the third dimension, is that we're active in our love for others. We're not thinking and just learning about the love of God. We're actually sacrificing our lives to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. So in the same way that I wake up and I think about how am I feeling, I need to be engaged in environments and looking for how others are doing. If we are the eyes and the heart and the mind, and if we had the mind of Christ and the hands of Christ and the feet of Christ in this world, then don't you think God wants to pour his love into our lives and through our lives to others? Or do we stop it up? And are we just content with being loved of God, being good with that, but not experiencing his love by loving our neighbor as ourselves? It's interesting that when Jesus gave this in another passage, a person asked him, who is my neighbor? Who's my neighbor? And Jesus told the story of the Good Samaritan who actually was an enemy, seen as an enemy of the Jewish people. We're called to go the distance. And your experience and your depth of God's love will then be revealed in how far you go to restore with others. So let me ask you a question. Think about the person who hurt you most in life. Think about the person you're at odds with right now. And think about that distance. It's a huge distance, isn't it? How many times have you ever thought, never again with that person? All I can say is you probably have been hurt. You probably have been offended. And you have lived in the reality that offense But God saw that with you. And even more, even more of the offense, he saw the offense of our sin and he chose to love us anyway. As we have been loved by Christ, we're called to love others. This means ultimately that we're returning. As we've received love from God, we're returning God's love to others. And, and that's where only God is going to give you the love to span that distance with the person who hurt you the most. What's it going to take? It's going to take us being available for God's love, his undeserved, infinite, increasing love. 
These next 10 weeks, we're going to be covering a different issue each week for the next 10 weeks. And we're going to be looking at how can I be available with God's love in each one of these areas. I hope that you will join us for this series. Because I think about what happens every week weekend when God joins us together is that each one of you are beloved by your heavenly father and you have a heavenly father who just wants to pour love through your life. And we can either stop it up and say, oh, I only want to do this. I only want to show this amount of love. Or we can say, God, just help me love the people you love. And the, peop- the next person you put in front of me, the next opportunity to love. I just want to tell you, I see a major awakening of love in the city of Topeka. I want to tell you just one story, and I'll close with this. My sister, my sister had three of her own children. They were wonderful children. They all chose to follow Christ. But as my children, as my sister was raising these children, she started looking around and she started seeing some children in the margin in her area. Children, and she used to live just outside of Chicago. And so she and her husband started taking children in in a foster care situation. Over the course of their marriage, they've had over 50 children in their home for a time of at least six months apiece. And some were special needs, but every child she took in was broken. Broken far beyond any of her biological children were broken. And if you've ever adopted in this situation, you know there were some things, usually love and a desire to love came out so that you brought a child in. But when you had that child, you realized how broken they were and what a challenge they had been. She realized that over 50 times. She started realizing how drastic of a situation it was. And when she and her husband moved out to Napa, California, they continued to open up their house and they continued to form relationships with people who had heart for foster children. And some of them she adopted. She adopted three more. So she had a total of six children. But she continued with these over 50 people over various times throughout their marriage. I looked at my sister and I heard the reality that she was going through. And I have three sons and I looked at her life and there was a time when I thought, whew, glad I'm not her. Look at those kids. Look at the chaos. Whew, boy, I may have a hard enough time with three dudes in this house. And yet, when I think about her reality, and the limitations of her life, I thought my life was freer. I thought my life had more opportunity. I thought my life was more enjoyable. Just last month, one of the girls who lived in their home, named Gabby, had a kidney disease. And in the hospital, she went into cardiac arrest and then went into ICU and died right before her eyes. 23-year-old girl. And I remember calling her just to comfort my sister. And everything was fine. I said all the pastoral things that I could. She was grieving over this loss of this young lady that she spent hours and hours and days and days in the hospital with. And she did this. Everyone, every child has ever lived in her home. And then I started to pray for her. I said, can I just pray for you? 
is that at that moment when I started to pray, God just reminded me of love. He is willing and able to pour through every one of our lives if we just let him. And I realized at that moment how rich my sister is in love. How many children she's been able to love when I've been limited in mine. I was convicted. And it took me about three minutes to compose myself and pray because the Spirit of God convicted my heart. Folks, God's going to use people in our lives who are loving far beyond what we are loving because they got a hold of the measure of God's love and they chose to love. We need you to lead here and to show us how to love people that no one else will love. This is the family, church. We are the people of God, beloved by God. Love does not dead end in us. It's made manifest through us. Let's be the people who die rich and live rich in God's love. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the reality of who you are. Thank you that even though we try, we could never fully measure your love so that there's never a huge issue and there's no minute issue that your love cannot transform in our lives. Teach us to follow you in love. And may that love change how we view ourselves and how we love others. It's in the name of Jesus and for his glory that I pray. Amen.